Chapter 8 of Secretary Hawkins in Cuba. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katerina. Secretary Hawkins in Cuba by Secretary Hawkins. Link gains a new friend. The days that followed were bright and sunny. I never saw such a blue sky as I saw in Cuba. Up in Kentucky, the sky on a fair day is blue, of course, but nothing like in Cuba. It is the bluest blue you can imagine, with white fleecy clouds here and there that look like downy feather beds. Here, even in midwinter, the sunshine is so hot that it feels like a thousand electric needles pricking your skin. In the shade, the air is cool and pleasant. In the evening, the breeze from the sea comes sweeping over you, and you feel grateful for a blanket to cover you while you sleep. Doc Waters insisted upon us taking lessons in Spanish every day, along with our regular lessons. Immediately after breakfast each day, he would take us into the big library and hear our lessons that he had given us the day before. Link and I liked it very much. In fact, I think I learned a great deal more from Doc Waters than I did from my teacher at home. Doc was so careful about my spelling and composition. In fact, when I think back to the time when I first wrote the secretary book for our boys, it makes me feel awful. I have some of those pages with me now, and sometimes I take them out and read them, and both Link and I have a good laugh at the way I spelled some of the words. But it brings back memories of old times of Brigham and the Pelham fellows, of little Frankie Kane and good old Jerry Moore, of my old side partner, Bill Darby, and dear old Lou Hunter, who played the organ in our houseboat. Oh, how I miss those good old days! How I wish I could see those boys again tonight, just once! This faraway place, these strange people whose language we don't understand and who can't understand us, the dirty streets and the awful smells. It all makes me wish I could go right back to the boys I used to know and the places I loved so well. How I would like to be on the old river bank again. If it wasn't for good old Doc Waters and Link, I believe I would be awfully homesick. I sort of miss all of the folks back home, even old Rowdy Brigham, the Pelham leader, who used to make so much trouble and cause so many fights between us boys and his gang. But we are having enough excitement as it is. We have a sort of a Pelham bunch right here at Casanova Plantation. Link and I went out after our lessons were over to have a little fun in the fields. Doc told us to be careful and not go far, and we told him we would be back soon and left him sitting in the library reading a Spanish newspaper and smoking a big black cigar. Just as we got outside the back gate, Link gripped my arm and said, Look out, Hawkins. There is the brown kid who sicked his goat on me. I looked and saw the Cuban boy standing beside a whitewashed barn, holding his hands behind his back. Watch him close, I said, but go on as though we hadn't noticed him. We started to walk across the space between the fence and the barn, and as we did so, the Cuban boy lifted his right arm and threw a stone. Both Link and I ducked, as we had learned to do in our fights with the Pelham bunch. The stone hit the barn with a loud whack. Dog gone, muttered Link. 
I have stood all I am going to stand from that kid. With a jump, he was after the brown boy, who had turned and was running toward the sugarcane fields. I knew it was useless to call Link back, because his dander was up, and he was going to give the kid a licking if he could catch him, and I knew he would catch him, because Link could run like a deer. It seemed to me that the Cuban boy hoped to be able to get to the cane field before Link did, and if he had done so, he might have gotten away, because he could have lost Link in that maze of cane. But Link reached out his bony arm just as the brown boy reached the first row of cane and jerked him back so hard that the boy fell, crying out as he did so. Link, I yelled. Wait a minute, Link! I ran up as fast as I could, but when I reached them, Link was sitting on top of the brown boy and punching his face, while the Cuban boy was trying to shield his face with his arms. I was about to pull Link off when I heard a shout and hoofbeats, and the next moment there came riding up to us at full speed a young fellow riding a Mexican pony. He pulled up short, within ten feet of us, and said, What's the row? Is there going to be any bloody noses and all that? Link turned to look at the newcomer, but remained seated on his brown-skinned enemy. The boy on the pony, who spoke such a good English, grinned down at all of us as though he took it all for a huge joke. And I must say I liked his looks. He was a light-haired, blue-eyed boy with fat, ruddy cheeks and an air of good breeding about him that made him stand out like a shining star among all those Cuban kids. Ha ha, he laughed, as he noted our surprise. I guess you don't know that you are punching the son of the great senor who runs the big white house up there. Link got up in an instant and faced the boy on the pony. If you mean Villa Casanova, he said, pointing to the big white house, you are mistaken. I am the owner of that place now. The boy on the pony whistled. You don't say, he exclaimed. I'm jolly glad of it anyway. I am getting sick of these Cubans, and I'm mighty glad to know that I'm to have real American neighbors. But watch out. There goes your rabbit. We had all been so interested in the boy on the pony that we forgot to watch the Cuban boy, who, taking advantage of the situation, scampered off and was soon out of sight among the tall cane. Let him go, said Link. I'll finish with him later. He's a bad egg. Don't you think so? The boy on the pony laughed. They're all alike, these kids down here, he said. That one is Miguel Peralta. He is the son of the man who is running the big white house. I believe you said you owned it now. Link nodded. Yes, he said. It was willed to be by my mother. Oh, remarked the boy on the pony. No wonder little Miguel is peeved. I suppose he thinks you will run him and his daddy out of Villa Casanova now that you are the owner. Link waved his hand. I won't do that, he said, but I will give him a beating every time he tries to knock me over with a stone. Look at the size of this one. He sailed at me a while ago. Link walked over and picked up the stone that labored had fallen beside the barn. He's a regular Cuban, said the new boy. They don't like us American boys very much. I don't understand them. I say, I am really very glad that you are going to live here. 
I haven't had an American playmate since I came here two years ago. Now I'll come over to see you often, if you don't mind. My daddy is in the sugar business here. We live right over yonder in the Villa Candida. Come over and see me sometime. My name is Will Standish. What's yours? We told him our names and where he had come from, and he got down from his pony, and we sat together in the shade of an alamo tree and talked for a long time. It seemed so good to hear an American boy talking our own language again. He told us that his father was an Englishman, but had made the United States his home for many years, and had finally gone into the sugar business, which made it necessary for him to come to Cuba to live. Will Standish later became a very valuable friend to us, and we never forgot the half hour we spent together there under that alamo tree and became acquainted. He was very much interested in Ling's story and about the will. He said he had remembered seeing a lady around Villa Casanova when he first came. Link was very anxious to know all about how she looked and all that, but Will Standish said he had only seen her a few times and had never talked to her and had never come over to Casanova very often because Peralta's boy and his gang were such bad actors that it wasn't safe. I suppose the lady you saw here was my mother, said Link. Perhaps so, said Will Standish, but I don't know. She was a very beautiful lady. I wondered why I had not seen her later. I did not know that she had died. Link nodded his head slowly. Yes, he said. I came too late. All my life I was waiting for a word to tell me where she lived. I never said anything to anybody, not even to my pop, but I always hoped that some day I would find out where she lived, and then I intended to run away and go to her. Now I have found the place where she lived, but I come too late. None of us spoke as Link stopped speaking. Will Standish tapped his riding boot with his whip and gazed thoughtfully out across the fields of cane. I watched a slowly sailing patch of cloud in the faraway blue sky as I felt a sort of silent sympathy for my skinny guy friend. Well, spoke up the English boy suddenly, I must be on my way. You boys must promise to come over and see me. Come over and ride a pony with me some day. I'll run you a race if you like, or I'll show you a game of yard polo that you might like. We will come all right, I said, as Link remained in a sort of study, sitting there on the ground and smiling to himself. At that minute there came a waving of cane, and two or three brown boys peeped out of the field. Link saw them first and jumped to his feet. Look, he said. Will Standish gave a short laugh and yelled something in Spanish to the brown-faced boys. The first one, whom I recognized as Miguel Peralta, raised his fist and answered something back in Spanish, and the next moment they had retreated into the field of cane, and Will Standish leaped upon his pony. What did they say? I asked. Oh, they are big bluffers, replied Will Standish, laughing. They said they are going to get you boys before very long and whip you with rawhides and told me to keep away or I would get it too. So I guess I'd better be on my way. But don't be afraid. Just keep a weather eye out for them. They won't do anything unless your back is turned. I'll look for you tomorrow or the next day. Goodbye. He gave his pony a sharp crack with the whip and went galloping away. 
I like that kid, Link, I said. Link smiled. Hawkins, he said. I'd like him if I had met him anywhere, but I like him more now from meeting him down here in the strange country because he looked upon the face of my mother. Why couldn't it have been me instead of him? I took Link by the arm and we walked back to the villa. Cheer up, old fellow, I said. In time you will feel different. God knows best, Link. He gives and takes, you know. He took your mother, but he gave you wealth and a bright future. Link smiled at me and grasped my hand. Good old Hawkins, he said. You're right. I ought to be thankful even now. But believe me, Hawkins, I'd give Villa Casanova and all of the money. I'd give it all back if somebody could give her back to me, even if I could be with her for only one single day. I could not answer Link. Something in his voice touched my heart, and I felt tears come into my eyes. We walked back to the villa together without saying another word. Doc Waters was waiting for us, and beside him on the porch stood Montilla, the Cuban lawyer. Link, said Doc, Mr. Montilla has something for you. Montilla was smiling broadly as he advanced and laid a long envelope in the skinny guy's hand. Here, he said. These are the papers that pronounce you owner of Villa Casanova and of the estate of your mother, according to the terms. You are a rich boy, and if you live to be twenty-one years old, you will be a richer man than you know. I congratulate you. Link tried to smile and murmured, Thanks. That night, as I lay thinking over the events of the day, I recalled the words of Montilla as he had presented Link with the papers of ownership. There was, perhaps, no hidden meaning in Montilla's words. I am of a very highly imaginative turn of mind, and I might be accused of jumping at conclusions. But some words that strike my ears at times seem heavy with meaning, even if there is no intention on the part of the speaker to carry such meaning. Such words had fallen, perhaps innocently, from the lips of Montilla today, if you live to be twenty-one years old. End of chapter 8